This is episode number eight of the Individual One Podcast. I am your host, John Ziegler. We are broadcasting from Los Angeles, California, and distributed internationally by the Global Story Network. This is the brand new bi-weekly program, which takes an honest and hard look at the presidency of Donald J. Trump from a conservative perspective. This is a show where our primary focus is discerning what the truth is about Donald Trump, regardless of political persuasion. And we believe we're one of the very few outlets that can do it because the liberal mainstream media has lost their mind and cannot be objective. And the conservative now state-run media has been compromised and completely co-opted. We, however, at the Individual One podcast have most definitely not been compromised or co-opted. And today of all days, on this February 27, 2019, when we're recording this episode of the Individual One podcast, we also happen to have the best name for a podcast that you could possibly imagine. Because today is the day that Michael Cohen, Donald Trump's former personal attorney, went before Congress, the House of Representatives, the Oversight Committee, and it testified for several hours. In fact, as we are recording this, he is still testifying. We are recording this for the record after what I would call the second portion of his testimony. There's now been two breaks. They're going to go for at least a third session. So keep that in mind as we provide you analysis of this breathtaking and dramatic testimony, as well as highly controversial testimony. We'll give you every possible analysis of it and break it all down for you. But with regard to the name of the podcast, here is what Michael Cohen said during his prepared remarks in front of the Congressional Oversight Committee. Last fall, I pled guilty in federal court to felonies for the benefit of, at the direction of, and in coordination with individual number one. And for the record, individual number one is President Donald J. Trump. I have a feeling you may be hearing that audio again on this podcast. In fact, we will probably play that at least once on every future edition of the Individual One podcast. But the best part of that is a lot of people are a little bit confused by the name. Now, the name did not come from me. That came from the Global Story Network. They came up with the idea of the name Individual One well before they ever had the idea of having John Ziegler host such a podcast. And today that decision was vindicated uh, in many ways over. Uh, By the way, I hope you've enjoyed the first seven episodes of the Individual One podcast. If you've not done so already, please subscribe, rate, review, and share this podcast via social media. We now have about 10,000 followers on our Twitter handle, which is Individual One. That's the number one, Individual One Pod. Now, today obviously was a huge day. Well, not just for this podcast, but far more importantly, for the United States of America and really the country as a whole, because this testimony has been broadcast across the country and across the world on most major news networks, including even Fox News Channel, which is usually the state-run channel, uh, Donald Trump's favorite channel that, that broadcasts allegedly news from a conservative perspective, a channel that many years ago I had great respect for, which now I have disdain for because almost entirely, not Totally, but I would say at least 90% of the time they have completely and totally sold out to Donald Trump. I was 
skeptical that they would even carry Michael Cohen's testimony live and unedited, but apparently they mostly have uh, so far, and it has been very dramatic and quite startling. And even for those of us who have studied Donald Trump incredibly closely, especially over the last three years, while none of this is shocking, it's still stunning to have it be said on television, under oath, in front of Congress. And it's stunning because the, the bottom line reality for anybody who is not a Trump cult member, if you're a Trump cult member, you're not, you're not buying any of this, right? I mean, I love the poorly educated. But for those of us who are not Trump cult members and who try to seek the truth and look at the world with open eyes and have a brain for ourselves, and unfortunately, I'm not sure that percentage is nearly as high as it used to be or should be, but for those of us in that category, there is an inescapable conclusion, even just part of the way through Michael Cohen's testimony. And that is that the president of the United States is a low-grade mob boss. That's what he is. He is a low-grade mob boss. And Michael Cohen was his fixer and his hitman and... It's now inescapable. Now, there are those of us who suspected that that was always the case. But to actually see it be said and be corroborated live on television in front of a congressional hearing, that's quite startling. It's, it's quite upsetting. And, uh, and, and it's, it's hard to fully comprehend. Correct. It's stunning. I mean, it's even for those of us who are critics of Donald Trump to wrap your brain around the idea that the president of the United States is a low grade mob boss is still shocking. And there were some new facts that are now in evidence. And there's a thread of a storyline that is really just devastating to anyone who has loved this country as, as I have and most Americans have for their whole lives to think that this man is not just president of the United States, but he's popular enough where it's going to be virtually impossible, based upon the current climate, to remove him from office. And he may even still win re-election. I know there are a lot of people who don't buy that possibility, but it is, conce- it is incredibly conceivable that the Democratic Party is not going to get their act together enough to beat him in the coming 2020 election. Now, before we get into what Cohen said, I, I want to talk about his true motivations and his credibility, because, of course, the Republican Party, and this is one of the things I predicted in the last episode of the podcast, the Republican Party is going to do everything they possibly can to ignore what he's saying and just attack him as a a known liar, a perjurer, uh, a felon who's going to prison. And all that is true and relevant, but it's not the only relevant thing, because you have to understand all of this in context. And in context, his lying, his lying was almost entirely about protecting Donald Trump. Now, to be clear, many of his crimes had nothing to do with protecting Donald Trump. They were almost more like emulating Donald Trump. Like he was so close to the master, he realized how to try to get this done. He just wasn't very good at it. He wasn't as good at it as Donald Trump has been so far. Correct. So... The reality is that the the essence of Michael Cohen as a liar is largely because 
he was under the thumb of Donald Trump. He was working for Donald Trump. Donald Trump was his source of income, his source of prestige, especially once Donald Trump became the Republican presidential nominee and president of the United States. It was a source of pride for him. He was effectively, his soul was a hostage to Donald Trump. Now, that doesn't prove that what he's saying is true now, but it at least explains why the difference between the Michael Cohen before today and the Michael Cohen today. But let's go further than that. Let's go to, okay, what does he have to gain versus what he has to lose in his testimony? He has an awful lot to lose. And I'm not sure... Well, there was some effort to make this point. I'm not sure this was made enough even by the Democrats on the committee, because this is a guy who's going to prison partially for perjury, perjury that I believe was effectively suborned by Donald Trump and his lawyers. We'll get to that shortly. But if he goes to Congress and lies again, because he's under oath, He's already going to prison partially because he lied to Congress previously while he was working for Donald Trump. If he does that again, he is subjecting himself to enormously increased penalties and prison time. Because when you do it a, a second time, then there's, there's no sympathy by the court. There's no leniency. And yet he voluntarily, he voluntarily decides that he's going to go in and testify under oath, under oath, subjecting himself to enormous further penalties. Now, yes, there is a potential financial incentive that by making this a huge spectacle and making this one of those very few and very rare communal moments where, you know, America actually is on the same page and, frankly, the world is on the same page, because of his testimony, that his future book deals or movie deals will be more lucrative. Absolutely, I get that. But I don't believe that that uh, in any way, shape, or form changes the fact that he voluntarily put himself in grave jeopardy. I mean, and, and he was talking, for the most part, without notes. He, he didn't even consult his lawyer one time that I saw, who was sitting right behind him, so he's, he's making himself, if he's really lying, and of course, if he's really lying, I look forward to the Department of Justice and the Republicans in Congress making that case for him to be further adjudicated on that, further criminal proceedings. Let's, let's, let's do it. Come on, bring him. If he's lying, then let's bring the case against him. I would love to see that. I doubt that'll happen. Because I don't think the Republicans on the committee really believe he is lying now. This is purely done for a political stunt. And even I, even I who, who predicted in the last episode of this podcast that Republicans were going to humiliate themselves on behalf of Donald Trump, the sycophants, the Trump sycophants were going to do everything they possibly could, bending over backwards to try to distract from what Cohen was saying. Even I was stunned by some of the stuff. Like, for instance, uh, Congressman Matt Getz threatening Michael Cohen on Twitter last night before ret eventually retracting that and then showing up at the committee hearing where he's not even a committee member. I mean, this is this is mob tactic stuff that is right out of The Sopranos. 
And I, I said in the last episode of, of this uh, podcast, which I, you know, frankly, I've been vindicated today on a lot of things. But one of the things I've been vindicated on is comparing Donald Trump to Tony Soprano. Correct. Because they're basically the same people. Uh, they really are. They use the same tactics. I think that their appeal is very similar. And Michael Cohen was a mob lawyer. You see, that's the to fully understand and properly interpret Michael Cohen's testimony. You need to understand he was a mob lawyer who is now out of the mob. That's what this is. That's what's so stunning about it. You, but you need to wrap your brain around that to fully be able to understand why most of what he's saying is credible. If not all of it, at least, is somewhat credible. And I'll tell you the other thing that makes him seem very credible to me, and it's not just because uh, he's saying things that I want to hear because they vindicate things I've predicted or that they're bad for Donald Trump, who I do not like. In fact, part of what makes him so credible is he went out of his way to say things that are not, are not detrimental to Donald Trump, that are actually favorable to Donald Trump. Like, for instance, on the issue of Russian collusion, he said this. Questions have been raised about whether I know of direct evidence that Mr. Trump or his campaign colluded with Russia. I do not. And I want to be clear. But I have my suspicions. Now, if his whole goal was to bring down Donald Trump out of some sort of revenge because supposedly he didn't get a job at the White House. That's what the Republicans are claiming. He didn't get a job at the White House, so this is all revenge. Um, That's nonsensical because the first thing you would do, the first thing that you know the media wants and that would make where Trump is most vulnerable is on this issue of Russian collusion. So you're saying, no, I don't have any direct, that's an important word, direct evidence of collusion between Russia and Trump in the 2016 campaign. That's not what you would be saying. You would be making stuff up, or at least, at the very least, you would saying you would be saying, "I believe that there was," because that's not a per- that's not perjury. That's your opinion. But he's not saying that, and that to me is an incredibly important point in favor of his credibility. Similarly, he went out of his way to debunk. One of the many rumors about Donald Trump, and by the way, for someone who supposedly has Trump derangement syndrome, as I get accused of having all the time, I have done the same thing. I don't believe there's a tape of Donald Trump saying the N-word. I don't believe there's a P-tape. And in fact, he said today, Cohen said he has no knowledge of a P-tape. And he also went out of his way to say there's, there is no, no existence of a rumored tape of Donald Trump in an elevator beating the crap out of his wife, Melania. He went way out of his way to say that. So, by the way, we, we, we can all, as Americans and people of this, of this world, we can look at, at the leader of the free world and we can feel comforted tonight. We can sleep well knowing, yes, he's a racist, according to Cohen. Yes, he's a con man, according to Cohen. Yes, he's a, ch- a cheat, according to Cohen. But he's not a wife beater. Thank goodness for that. I'm glad we've, we've, we've at least established that. Correct. So, because according to Michael Cohen, Donald Trump would never do that and there was no evidence that that tape ever actually existed. Now, if he was really wanting to go after Trump no matter what, damn the truth, 
Why wouldn't he, at the very least, say, you know what, I, I was never able to find that tape, but I believe it exists because that sounds exactly like the Donald Trump I know. He didn't do that. And have, having interviewed many people where I've tried to uh, gauge their credibility, this is um, maybe the number one thing I look for. Are they telling me what I want to hear, even when it doesn't make sense, and are they going after their target universally or are they also saying things that are potentially favorable to the person they appear to be targeting and at every level cohen comes across to me as credible he also came across as smarter than i expected i expected him to be a real moron but he's not a moron he actually has a pretty good handle on the facts and an understanding of reality although i'm amazed that he was so easily duped or I think he referred to it as being under the spell of Donald Trump. Maybe he just so badly wanted to be rich and famous. And those are two things that, that Trump is. And and I guess people around him, if that's your value system, you get intoxicated. I guess that's theoretically possible that that wouldn't work with me, but that clearly worked with with uh, Michael Cohen. Correct. And, uh, you know, but the most important thing here is, is Cohen telling the truth? And I believe, by and large, he is. And he's telling the truth about incredibly important things. All right? Now, let's take a look at some of the things that he said that I believe are, are significant. One of the things I believe I've been vindicated about, and I have written about this extensively and, and mentioned it on Twitter many times, is that the most obvious and maybe the most important lie that Donald Trump is telling deals with his assertion that he had no knowledge of the meeting in June of 2016 between his own son, his son-in-law, and his campaign chairman, Paul Manafort, who's headed to prison, with a, with a series of Russian operatives about dirt that they could be offering or could provide regarding Hillary Clinton. Now, this is important timing because Trump is the presumptive Republican presidential nominee, and the general election is pretty much getting started. It's going to be Trump versus Clinton. And they're meeting with Russians in Trump Tower on a day where apparently Donald Trump was there that day. Now, forget about anybody's testimony or any of the facts. You know anything about Donald Trump. You've watched one episode of The Apprentice, his old reality TV show. You know it's completely asinine to think that he didn't know about this meeting. Correct. Because that's just the way he works. He's a control freak. And he doesn't trust anybody around him, according to, Don, uh, to uh, Michael Cohen, doesn't even trust his own son, which I'll get to momentarily. But he doesn't trust anybody. He's the one that's in charge. He's a control freak. And so the idea that that meeting could happen and him have no knowledge of it is, is just totally absurd. It's just flat out ridiculous. And it has always been ridiculous. And I've said so. Well, Cohen testified today specifically about that and specifically about a conversation he overheard between Donald Trump Jr. and Donald Trump before that meeting took place, just before that meeting took place. And again, this, it's important to understand his credibility here because this is the kind of story if you're going to say, well, he's making this up, then why didn't he make this up about other elements which he was questioned about? That would have been just as easy for him to do. This, to me, you can decide for yourself, but this, to me, rings true, where he goes into great detail talking about overhearing this conversation between Donald Trump Jr. 
and Donald Trump just before that infamous meeting in June of 2016 at the Trump Tower. I also knew that nothing went on in Trump world, especially the campaign, without Mr. Trump's knowledge and approval. So I concluded that Don Jr. was referring to that June 2016 Trump Tower meeting about dirt on Hillary with the Russian representatives when he walked behind his dad's desk that day. Right. And just to be clear, he was describing Donald Trump Jr. making an unusual move, as he described it, to have a whispered conversation with his dad. And it was about this meeting. The meeting is set and Donald Trump says, great. I mean, I'm paraphrasing, but that's essentially what Michael Cohen testifies to. Now, is, is that going to prove in the minds of any uh, Trump cultist that Donald Trump knew about it? No, but it's another important data point that points directly in that direction. And for anybody with an, a reasonably working and open mind, to me, it proves that especially when you evaluate it in the context of Cohen's remaining testimony, where that is one of the few situations where he tells a very specific story of something he directly witnessed. It's not hearsay. He witnessed it, and the timing is perfect. And there's a whole slew of other pieces of evidence that indicate that Donald Trump is lying about that. And if, if Donald Trump said, as indications are, in his answers to Robert Mueller, the special counsel, that he had no knowledge of that meeting, then that's perjury. And that's impeachment. And that's, therefore, why this is important. Of course, it's theoretically the president of the United States being a lying con man uh, should be important as it is. But we're, we're, I guess we're far beyond that now. But from the standpoint of impeachment, that's potentially critical. Now, as far as the collusion with Russia situation, I have to say that overall, the collusion theory did not get help today. Now, there are some that saying it got disproven. I'm not there yet. I have been and. I think I've made this clear. I've tried to make this clear. In fact, Donald Trump himself tweeted three times about an interview I did with Michael Isakoff, an investigative reporter who wrote the book Russian Roulette. This was a couple of months ago before we started the Individual One podcast. Trump actually tweeted three times touting this interview I'd done with Michael Isakoff because Michael Isakoff had basically come to the conclusion that maybe there wasn't collusion between Trump and Russia, that the collusion theory was fading. And that perspective got some boost today. Note, without question, one of the things that uh, Cohen said, for instance, is that he's never been to Prague. Now, he said that before, but to say it in front of Congress on television after he's come to Jesus, all of that, and he said it definitively, it seems pretty clear to me he's never been to Prague. Now, for those who have followed the story, they know that's important. That's really important because that blows apart a huge portion of the Steele dossier. The Steele dossier was definitely, uh, I wouldn't say totally discredited, but it, was, it took a big hit today. Because if Michael Cohen's never been to Prague, unless there was a mistaken identity situation, unless there was somebody else that was actually Michael Cohen, which I guess is possible— then that removes a huge portion of the Steele dossier's argument that there was, in fact, direct collusion between the Trump campaign and Russia. Also, Cohen having no knowledge of the P-table, though I'm not sure he really would have had knowledge of the P-table, the though you would think he would have heard rumors. 
or maybe theoretically Trump <laughs> Trump expressing some uh, um, you know sort of concern about it. But there was no there's no indication about that. So there's certainly no validation of the P tape where there could have been some. So by and large, I will absolutely say that the Steele CA took a, a hit today. And in the bigger picture, the Russian collusion theory took a hit today. Again, it's not disproven. And Cohen himself says, as we've already played the clip, that he has his own suspicions about Russian collusion. And they're not idle suspicions. It's stuff that doesn't make sense. It's stuff that, for instance, he referenced Trump's continuing praise of Vladimir Putin. And there's also direct evidence he brought of him having witnessed another conversation, this one between Roger Stone and Donald Trump. This is before the WikiLeaks dump of Hillary Clinton and Democratic Party emails that was so critical to the narrative in the final month, especially of the 2016 campaign. And people underestimate, I think, how important that was, that the WikiLeaks hack, and that's also important. You got to remember, there's a couple things that, that get lost in translation here. Number one, WikiLeaks hacking is an illegal act. Okay, that's a robbery. That's a robbery. It's, it's, it's essentially the same thing as the, the water, Watergate break-in, just in modern technology terms. So WikiLeaks breaks into the Democratic National Committee's emails, and they do so effectively as a Russian front. That's what WikiLeaks is. You need to understand that to, to fully comprehend why this is important. And so before that happens, Roger Stone has a conversation on a speakerphone with Donald Trump. Michael Cohen is there. He witnesses it. And uh, this is Cohen's uh, conclusion based upon uh, what he witnessed that day. Mr. Trump knew from Roger Stone in advance about the WikiLeaks drop of emails. Now, Stone is denying this. Stone, as you know, has already been indicted. Uh, and, you know, my guess is, and, 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 and Cohen clearly implied this strongly. I mean, he did this more than just an implication. He basically said that he believes the special counsel has records of that phone conversation between Roger Stone and Donald Trump. Now, what does that prove? Let's pretend it's true for a second, because I believe it is. But let's pretend it's true. What does that prove? That proves that Trump has knowledge of it. That does not prove that he instigated it. it. It indicates that he was happy about it. But there is a there is a line, I guess, there in theory between Roger Stone acting on his own and reporting back to his buddy Donald Trump, hey, I'm making some headway on this project. Now, I'm not naive. <laughs> Trump doesn't even have to tell Roger Stone, this is what I want. Stone references it, and Trump says, yeah, that would be great. That's the go-ahead. So now, in the, in, and this gets back to so much about the way that Trump works and why it's a lot like a mob boss and why it's going to be difficult to nail down on a court of law because there's inherent plausible deniability. But there's what Trump is actually saying and doing and what those around him know is the, is the order. It's not a direct order. He's not that dumb. He's not dumb enough to give a direct order to, to commit perjury, for instance. Correct. He's, but he doesn't need to. He's a very powerful, rich, famous guy. And later on, he's the Republican nominee and he's the president of the United States. And that's an, 
so important for the context of understanding everything. And I'm going to get to that further as we go along into the Trump Moscow deal. But with regard to WikiLeaks, his knowledge is important. Is it conclusive to collusion? No, because technically Roger Stone was not working for the campaign. Now, the reality is Roger Stone was part of the campaign, just like WikiLeaks is not Russia. But effectively, WikiLeaks is working on behalf of Russia. But and that's the that's the real world. But when you break it down into a court of law and have to prove something beyond a reasonable doubt, if it's an actual courtroom or impeachment proceedings where you have to convince a huge portion of the public that's a member of Donald Trump's cult, that becomes exceedingly if difficult, if not impossible. So while there may have been effective collusion via the Roger Stone story, from a legal political standpoint, I'm not sure that's enough, especially given the nature of Trump's cult. But it was interesting information nonetheless, and especially if it's augmented by what Robert Mueller has in his investigation as special counsel. Now, let's get to the Trump Moscow project, because one of the other things I believe I've been vindicated on here, and there have been many in this testimony today, is my belief that the core, the core scandal at the heart of the Trump-Russia saga is, in fact, this Trump Moscow Tower project. That to me, is enough to explain almost everything. I mean, the big, biggest question has always been, well, two questions. Why is Trump sucking up to Vladimir Putin so much? And number two, why all the lying surrounding everything involving Russia, specifically that June 2016 meeting at Trump Tower in New York? Those are two things that have never been easily understood to me until we learned about the Trump Moscow project, and it is absolutely unbelievable. It is it's just flat out ridiculous that the Trump Moscow project story has not gotten hardly any traction. Forget about within the Trump cult. It's hardly talked about in the mainstream news media, hardly at all. Now, it will be after today, but today there's such an avalanche of new stuff that it'll probably get lost within that tidal wave. So it'll still get lost. And, and, and frankly, because of the way the Trump Tower project got reported through a, an article in BuzzFeed, largely, that the special counsel pushed back against in the perception of many people, including people I work with in the news media who are not Trump fans, they think that this, is, this entire concept has been discredited that Trump forced Cohen into lying about the Trump Moscow project when he lied to Congress, which he pled guilty to, which is part of the reason why he's going to prison. So this is a a source of very uh, great frustration to me because that's the scandal, folks. This is is where it is. We're, We're at the core. At least I hope it's the core, because if this isn't the core, if, this, if there's something bigger than this, first of all, it's amazing that it's been held secret for this long, but uh, I can't imagine what it would be. Because I believe the facts now indicate that the, that the Republican presidential nominee was using that nomination largely in order, as Cohen said today, to leverage a land deal in Moscow— that may have even included a bribe to Vladimir Putin giving him the penthouse 
because he did not expect that he was going to win and that he wanted to leverage this great thing that he accidentally won, the Republican presidential nomination, to his, for his own financial benefit. And in doing so, he was ingratiating himself to Vladimir Putin during the entire campaign, and he was lying about it, lying about the project, lying about it constantly. Um, and, and this didn't stop, apparently, until he won. Now, there, now, there's still some confusion to me as to whether it stopped in, in the area of June, right around the Trump Tower uh, meeting in New York, or whether it continued all the way into October, November. Rudy Giuliani, President Trump's current personal attorney, has made numerous statements that are consistent with the idea that this went all the way till October or November. And, and he has led us to believe that that's what Trump said in his answers to the special counsel, his written answers. Because remember, got to remember, Trump reneged on his agreement, his, well, his word. <laughs> Trump doesn't, <laughs> I mean, the idea that, of Trump reneging on anything is hardly surprising. But the, his word was he would sit down and, and provide an interview under oath or testify for Robert Mueller. He said 100% he would do that when the investigation began, just like he said he would release his taxes, which he never did. So Tr Trump's pledge like that is meaningless because he, he always banks on the fact that, you know, months or years later, no one's going to hold him to it or they'll forget about it or it won't matter by then because he'll have, you know, accumulated enough power to where people will not want to go up against him. And so and then and he's been right about that so far, at least when it comes to the, the bulk of the Republican Party. But but the, the important part of this is that uh, that if Trump said and it's my belief that he did, that Trump said in his answers that this thing went all the way to the election. That's stunning, first of all, that it went all the way to the election. And it's clear then that the only reason why it stopped was because, oops, I won. Oops, I became president and I can no longer, even I, think that it's inappropriate to try to build a Trump Tower Moscow <laughs> while I'm president of the United States. So congratulations. I guess we've reached the point where even Donald Trump thinks that a project might be inappropriate, even if it makes him money. Or maybe he just thought he couldn't get away with it. Regardless, I have, I have a theory, and it's amazing to me that very few other people have, have echoed this theory, that part of why, why Cohen was forced to plead guilty to the perjury to Congress was because Trump flipped on Cohen. Not that Cohen flipped on Trump. Well, that's possible. Maybe it was a little bit of both. I think Trump flipped on Cohen. I think Trump realized after Cohen had testified that it was January of 2016, not October, November of 2016, when this Trump Moscow project was, was concluded or terminated. And that's an incredibly important time difference. The time difference here is critical because January is before the Republican primaries start. So you could plausibly claim that, well, look, I realized as soon as I was really running for president and it looked like I might win the nomination, I terminated this because it was obviously highly inappropriate for me to be trying to build a, uh, a Trump Tower in Moscow and dealing with Vladimir Putin when they're, you know, an adversarial foreign power. That, so but what, what happened, I think, is Trump realized that story was no longer going to be tenable. But Cohen had already testified to it. And 
Trump decided to protect his own ass by telling Mueller, oh, no, yeah, this, this thing was going all the way till October, November, till I won the election, which covers Trump's ass totally for any emails or any other proof of that Trump Moscow project being in the works. Of course, now publicly the whole time he's saying, Russia? Never heard of Russia. Never done any deals in Russia. I have no business dealings in Russia. That's what Trump continually said during all this. Now, this became a major issue in Cohen's testimony today. And just a little bit more backdrop, when BuzzFeed's story about this issue of why Cohen testified that it was January of 2016 and then later pled guilty to perjury about it being January 2016, when, when the BuzzFeed story got discredited by Robert Mueller, I was one of the very few to step up and say, hold on, wait a minute. Okay, it's possible that the BuzzFeed story is not 100% correct. But it sure seems to me as if maybe the BuzzFeed story is only 100, not 100% correct because they overstated the level of evidence that exists that Cohen was coerced into lying or suborned into lying, the technical term suborning his perjury, into lying in front of Congress. Maybe that they didn't depict the evidence of it correctly. Maybe either the level of evidence or the nature of the evidence. But that the essence of the story, and this is the important part, the essence of the story is that Cohen lied to Congress because of or at the direction of Individual one, Donald J. Trump. That's the essence of it. That's the important part because that's suborning perjury. That is an impeachable offense. That is effectively exactly what Bill Clinton got impeached for by the Republicans in the late 1990s because he suborned the perjury of his secretary, Betty Curry, under far, far, far less significant circumstances. And using, by the way, and this is also significant, basically the same language that Michael Cohen says Donald Trump used. And this is where people aren't using their brains. They're not connecting all the dots. Just to review, Bill Clinton, after he did his Monica Lewinsky testimony, where he, well, actually it was his Paula Jones testimony, he gets shocked. He gets shocked on a Saturday that, oh my gosh, they know about Monica Lewinsky. I'm screwed. Uh, uh, how am I going to cover this up? I've just, I've just perjured myself in a civil deposition. I'm president of the United States. This is bad. The next morning, it's Sunday morning, he brings in his church-loving African-American secretary, Betty Curry. Now, Betty Curry knows all about Monica Lewinsky. Let's use our brains. She's the secretary. She knows who comes in and comes out. She knows that Monica Lewinsky coming in and out of the Oval Office and coming out disheveled. And, uh, you know, giggling like a schoolgirl and giving gifts to Clinton and vice versa. She knows. okay? Betty Curry knows. And Bill Clinton brings her in and doesn't say to her, according to her testimony, "Um, "Okay, look, I uh, I just lied uh, to the uh, to the civil deposition under oath. I need you to lie for me, too. So when you get asked about this, you are going to say that uh, I never had any kind of relationship with Monica. You know nothing about this. Uh, that, uh, you know, Monica and I weren't even a- ever alone. That's what you're going to say. That's not the way it works, folks. Hey, these people are not imbeciles. 
And when you're president of the freaking United States and you're talking to an employee, you don't need to be that direct. There's no need. All you have to do is imply it. And what Bill Clinton did was he sat Betty Curry down on that Sunday when she should have been at church, and he said to her, um, Monica and I, we were, we were never alone, right, Betty? You're right. I never, I never gave her any gifts, right? You remember that, right? I never gave her any gifts at all. Uh, um, and, uh, and certainly, certainly, with the, you know, uh, I never had any kind of uh, relationship with her. I just, I just want to make sure I, uh, that, you know, I under, understand what the reality here is and, and that you understand that too. I mean, that, that's the basics of what Bill Clinton did. It's not, I'm telling you to lie. It's, um, you get the picture, right? You, you know what your job is, right? And it's in, it, there's no need to go any further than that because you're president of the freaking United States of America. And everything you do and say gets magnified a thousandfold. Let's relate this back to Michael Cohen. So Michael Cohen is getting ready for his testimony in front of Congress. And it's important to point out he's still very loyal to Donald Trump at this point. He's still his personal attorney. And Michael Cohen says to Congress, no, nope, uh, this uh, Trump Tower project, it, it terminated in January of 2016. Now, that's a lie, and it's an important lie for reasons I've already stated, because the timing here is critical. And polit- politically, I think Trump thought the timing would be critical, because he did not want to have to admit, one, that he lied, and two, that this was going on during the heart of the Republican nominating process and maybe even the general election. So Michael Cohen has testified that, that Trump told him during this time period that what he was doing in brokering the Trump Tower in Moscow was not actually happening. In much the same way, reminds me eerily reminiscent of the way that Bill Clinton dealt with his own secretary, which is basically the way Donald Trump viewed Michael Cohen, essentially as his fixer, his, his, his mob muscle his his secretary if you will and and here is cohen testifying today about what trump would do regarding his interaction with him during the trump moscow negotiations at the same time i was actively negotiating in russia for him he would look me in the eye and tell me there's no russian business and then go on to lie to the american people so he gets the message there's no russian business now, he goes also on to say uh, and implies that, that Trump made it clear what he was supposed to do with regard to his own public statements. Because, and again, this goes back to being president. You cannot look at this in a normal situation. You're president of the United States. When you're making public statements at the time, at the time when Michael Cohen's going in front of Congress, Michael Cohen knows what he's supposed to say and not say because he's been directed privately by Donald Trump that this never happened, even though he knew it happened because he was the one doing it. This is important to point out. Cohen was the person who was the point man on the negotiations between Russia and the Trump Organization on the Moscow project. And yet Trump's telling him, I have nothing to do with Russia. That's the same thing as Bill Clinton said to Betty Curry. But it gets even more detailed than that. And this seems to be getting missed, too. And, and part of it, at least from the testimony that I saw, is the, is the fault of the questioners and maybe even Cohen himself. 
And it's weird to me. Maybe Cohen expected that the questioners were going to be better than they were. But at least as of this taping, I don't know that we've 1,000 percent, we've come close, nailed down the role that Trump's lawyers played in how and why uh, Cohen testified in a perjurious fashion to Congress regarding the timing of the Trump Moscow project. Because he has made it very clear, Cohen did, that his testimony to Congress was, quote, edited, edited by Trump's lawyers. He's named names. And he's even, when asked the follow-up question, and unfortunately the time ran out on this particular questioner, who I think was getting to the heart of the matter, specifically, Cohen said that the timing of the Russian project was edited by Trump's lawyers. Now, let's do the math on this, folks. Can we put our thinking caps on for just a second? You got the president of the United States telling his personal lawyer that there was no Russian project. And you've got his lawyers editing his testimony, which he says he's going to provide the original testimony as well as we know what the edited version was, which was perjurious. You've got the president's own lawyers suborning his perjury. Now, (laughs) under any circumstances, that's legally problematic. But when it's the president of the United States, you cannot come to any other conclusion in a rational world than that the president of the United States suborned in all tense and purposes and effectively suborned that perjury. Now, is it possible that there is a legal loophole somewhere that's, that Trump can squeeze through? I don't know. I'm not a lawyer, but I certainly know what the essence of that the, the law is supposed to be, and I know what the truth of this matter is. And the truth of this matter is that the essence of the BuzzFeed story was true, and that is that Donald Trump is the reason why Michael Cohen lied to Congress. And that's suborning perjury, and that is exactly what Bill Clinton got impeached for with regarding Betty Curry under far, far, far less significant circumstances. So those are the the, the biggest highlights. I mean, I I could do five hours of this podcast uh, on on all the things that were learned and, and talked about during Michael Cohen's testimony. I mean, we didn't even talk about the, the racist statements that Michael Cohen says that Donald Trump made. Do I believe them? Yes, but I don't think they're that significant, not because if they're true, they're, they shouldn't be significant. It's that, one, they're purely his word. He has no, no documentation of that, no tape recordings of that. Uh, and, and frankly, <laughs> and this is as sad as it gets, among his base of support, that's probably going to make him even more popular. Correct. I mean, that's, that's as pathetic as it is. I mean, that's what I was thinking. I'm sure a lot of other people are thinking the same way. Hearing him uh, through Michael Cohen's version make blatantly racist statements like, for instance, black people aren't smart enough to figure things out. And, you know, there's no country that's run by a black person, not a shithole, including, by the way, the United States of America, because Barack Obama was the president at that time. None of those statements are going to turn any of his supporters off. In fact, they're probably going to make him more popular among his base of support. And it's his base of support that's going to keep him in office. Because as long as he holds on to that core of 35%, Republicans cannot do anything. He has them by the balls. 
And you saw it in that hearing today. Other than Justin Amash, Amash, Justin Amash, who's a a Republican congressman from Michigan, who was the only person on that committee that I saw as a Republican who had any kind of a soul and any kind of a brain, everybody else humiliated themselves, sucking up to Donald Trump, who I do believe is a racist and a con man and a cheat, as Donald, as, as Donald Trump's former personal lawyer, Michael Cohen, said. It was humiliating, it was embarrassing, but unfortunately it was entirely predictable. And the reason why that happens is because every single one of those guys know that, at least right now, if they cross Donald Trump, they're not just crossing the President of the United States, they are ensuring that they will have a primary challenge in the next election. And they will probably lose. Because it's not just the 35% that Trump holds on to nationwide. It's probably 50% or higher in their districts. And these are cult members. These aren't just people who like Trump. These are cult members. I love the poorly educated. And cult members cannot be influenced by facts or reason or rationality. They, they have no conscience. And they will do whatever the cult leader says. And Trump, as long as he remains the cult leader to 35% of the country, cannot be touched. And that those Republicans who want to hold on to their offices because that's more important to them than their own damn souls, if they ever had any, are going to do everything they possibly can, as was shown today, to fight on his behalf, even if it means fighting on the behalf of a racist con man cheat, who, according to Cohen, by the way, doesn't even give a rat's ass about America. And I believe that. I, I, I have always believed that Donald Trump, the way he looks at the world, and we saw enormous evidence of it today, just in a, in a tweet that he made about Richard Blumenthal, the senator from, from Connecticut. Now, here Trump is in Vietnam at his summit with Kim Jong-un. In Vietnam, a place where many, many, many Americans died fighting a war that he dodged under uh, uh, with an excuse that was not legitimate, allegedly having bone spurs, which Cohen says there's no evidence of that. And Trump effectively admitted there was no evidence he ever had bone spurs. So he dodges Vietnam and he has the audacity, the audacity to go on Twitter today while in Vietnam and rip into Richard Blumenthal because Richard Blumenthal lied about the nature of his service during Vietnam. He had said he was in Vietnam when he was not in Vietnam, but he was in the service, unlike Trump. And Trump lies about even Blumenthal's lies. He made it sound like Blumenthal had created some grand story of him in a jungle saving a bunch of uh, fellow GIs from certain death. That's bullcrap. Blumenthal did not do that. Blumenthal did lie about being in Vietnam, but that was the it. That was it. That was the nature of his lie. And yet Trump has the audacity... (laughs) And his his cult, of course, loves it, has the audacity to, while in in Vietnam, mock a guy who actually did go into the service when he did not. And why is this related to, to my theory on Trump? It's because Trump understands his weaknesses better than probably anybody. And he he's smart. He's, He's street smart to understand that the best way to deal with a weakness is to attack on it. As long as people will take you seriously, and when you're rich and you're famous and now you're president, people will, at least 
40-some percent right now, of the public will take you seriously. They will believe you. So if patriotism is a weakness that you have, or military service is a weakness that you have, which it clearly is with Trump, you make that the forefront of who you are. Make America great again. Nobody loves the military as much as I do. I'm going to attack a guy who did serve in the military, but who claimed to be in Vietnam what he didn't go to Vietnam, even though I dodged the Vietnam draft. Similarly, according to Cohen, which I believe, you go after Barack Obama for not releasing his, his academic records when you're terrified of your own academic records being released and threatening high schools, college, college boards if they ever release your academic records, which I'm sure are pathetic, even though Trump has lied and said he was an honor student at uh, Wharton. I, I mean, they, they, they never, it, it goes on and on and on. Every element that Trump, his wealth is another great example. If you're really not that wealthy, claim to be worth $10 billion and brag about your wealth all the time because people will believe it. They'll think that's, that's a, it's not possible. I mean, that, he, that if he's really not that rich, why would he be talking about how rich he is all the time? Because he knows that's the way you do a con. Because as Michael Cohen said, he's a con man. And this is a great trick by a con man. You take your greatest weakness and you brag about it. Religion is another great example. He's the least religious guy that has ever held the office of presidency in all likelihood. And yet he wraps himself in religion and an unbelievable number of especially evangelical Christians, they buy into it. The whole thing is... It's just flat out ridiculous. But that's where we are. We have a con man, low-grade mob boss as president. And while today was huge, and I'm sure that there'll be further huge revelations because it's important to point out, a lot of what Cohen did today was spread some breadcrumbs for the future. This ain't over. He made some really dramatic implications that could have very serious consequences about other investigations, specifically the Southern District of New York. But most intriguingly, he actually said that his last conversation, think about this, folks, his last conversation, now he didn't say it directly, but it's being interpreted, that he said his last conversation with, with Trump was two months after his home was raided. Now, but he can't talk about it because of other investigations. Now, use your brains, folks. What does that mean? That means that Donald Trump, in that conversation, said some things in a desperate attempt to keep Michael Cohen on board. That was Tony Soprano going to one of his key underlings who he's gotten word is about to fly the coop and he's doing everything he possibly can to keep that from happening because he knows how dangerous Michael Cohen is. Now, there's some conjecture in there, but the, uh, based upon my overall evaluation of Cohen's credibility, uh, I think there's something to that. And a lot of other people clearly do as well. So this isn't over. I mean, Cohen's going to go to jail in May. 
Uh, and but but this is not the last of this. Now, will this have an impact? I'm a big believer that nothing matters anymore, that we're living in a world where almost nothing matters. This will be a good test of that theory, because one of the reasons why I believe nothing matters is that we live in a world where it's very, very hard to get everybody on the same page. This is why, you know, other than the Super Bowl, we, we never have any communal events anymore. Even the Oscars are not really a communal event because of audience uh, erosion and media fragmentation and people are so distracted and then things go into the ether and are forgotten in less than 24 hours. This is going to test that. This is going to test that. It's not going to test the cult. The cult is not going to be convinced by this because Cohen is a known liar. He's a known liar. By the way, it's, so, it's nice to know that the Trump fans think so much about the importance of lying. <laughs> that if you've, if you've been caught in a lie, that means you're, everything you say is discredited. Yet somehow they don't, they don't use the uh, transit of property <laughs> to use that uh, to evaluate the things that Trump does, even though he's absolutely a pathological liar. Correct. But I digress. The point is, this is going to test that with the portion of the public that likes Trump but is not a Trump cult member. Unfortunately, I think that, pop, that portion of the population is only about 5 or 10%. Now, that's an important 5 or 10%, but it's not enough necessarily to, to change the outcome of where we're headed with all this. It might be enough to change it with regard to re-election, but probably not with regard to being removed from office. And so with that, uh, at the end of each podcast, I update our official, although there's no betting allowed, our official individual one podcast percentages for the, the two major outcomes when it comes to Donald Trump. Will he serve out his first term in office and will he be reelected? Previously, those percentages were 10 percent for being unable to fulfill his first term in office and 43 percent for being reelected. I, even I have to believe that there's some impact to Cohen. And I think that uh, I, will, I, will, I will say that right now there is a 13% chance he does not serve out his first term in office. That might be a little optimistic, but I, I'm in the middle of, uh, of evaluating all this, and there's a lot of hysteria uh, going on today. But I, I'll go with 13%, and then I'll go with uh, similarly 40% chance he gets reelected. So about a 3% change based upon the hurricane that is the Michael Cohen uh, testimony. But uh, that, that could be altered by our next podcast, which will be on Sunday. And on Sunday, we are scheduled to be joined by the godfather of the so-called never-Trump conservative movement in America. His name is Bill Crystal. Conservative commentator Bill Crystal will be joining us on the Individual One podcast. As is always the case, uh, please subscribe, rate, review, and share this uh, via social media. Make sure you follow us on Twitter at Individual One Pod. Uh, thanks so much for listening. Until next time, my name is John Ziegler. This is the Global Story Network. <laughs>